You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, everybody. This is a, a re-recording of the original intro that was on this episode. Um, I'm replacing the file as there's been some changes, and I feel like anybody who's tuning in for the first time, the original uh, original intro didn't didn't quite apply the same way. Um, when I started this podcast, I didn't I never really thought that something like this would be part of the equation. But John, this this week's guest, uh, actually he passed away just a few days after the episode dropped. Um, we talked about it in the episode a little bit. Uh, he uh, he struggled with Crohn's for a long time with his life, uh, which we did talk about. And then we also touched on uh, he, he was diagnosed with cancer. And he came on the show after his uh, second diagnosis. And we originally had some other things planned for the episode. Um, but he was placed in hospice care and so we fast-tracked it. I, I leapfrogged this episode to come up a, a few weeks as our, our plans weren't going to work out the way we had originally intended. And um, I just got the news that he uh, he did pass away. And uh, so, yeah, it's kind of a it's a sad, sad episode. i got to say that. I mean, he's a, as you can hear, he's a really awesome guy and very optimistic and, uh, you know, I don't know what else to say. He's uh, he was a great dude. I was really glad that I got a chance to meet him and talk to him for that brief time. And, uh, you know, it was nice to have his positivity in my life, you know, even though it was for just a brief time. Um, all that said, one thing that hasn't changed in the last few days would be the situation with the medical bills. Uh, as you can imagine, that stuff isn't cheap, especially consider considering the level of treatment he had to go through. Uh, so the family has a GoFundMe set up, and if you have the ability at all to contribute to that, uh, the link is in the show notes. It's easy to find, and uh, I know they'd be really appreciative of anything that you could do. And if you can't, if you could share it, get it out there. Uh, I know, I know they would really, really appreciate it. And I feel like it's an opportunity for us as a community to kind of gather around and help out some of our own. So if that is at all within your ability, please do check that out. And, um, yeah, I don't, I don't really know what else to say. I think you're, you're going to enjoy this episode. It'll give you a chance to see what kind of guy John really was. And, um, yeah, be thinking of him and his family throughout this ordeal. So without further ado, here is John Schold of Sinusoid. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Tone Mob podcast, the show about guitar tone and the people behind it. I'm your host, Blake Weiland, and with me today, I have John Schold from the legendary Sinusoid. What's happening? Hey, not much. Just hanging out, doing a little podcasting like any other normal person does every day, right? Yeah, yeah, totally. You know, that's, uh, yeah, nine to five. What's that? <laughs> yeah well i mean it 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 used to be a weird thing but i've been doing it for a while now so it's it it is now just feels like i guess this is this is just what everyone does right this isn't completely normal <laughs> you t- 
talk to people on the internet and then other people on the internet tune in. That's that's totally normal. Uh, yeah. <laughs> nothing weird about that at all. You're just in your house alone all day talking to internet friends. Yeah. <laughs> internet friends. Yeah. That's healthy for you. That's <laughs> good for you. I'm told. Uh, so how's things up there? Things, uh, things pretty nice up there. We're, we're about to go into apparently summertime down here tomorrow. Oh yeah. We, uh, we've actually had some, some decent weather. Uh, it's crazy how fast, like only a couple months ago we were having snow and now we're like hitting almost eighties, uh, yeah, which for Washington this time of year is awesome. It's kind of nuts. I mean, we're, yeah, we're, you know, we're just South of you down here, but yeah, I guess it's supposed to be over 80. Like I heard 86 and then my wife just told me, I think it's going to be hotter tomorrow. I'm like, uh, I'm not prepared for this. My body is not acclimated to accept these kind of temperatures as of yet, but I guess I don't really have a choice, do I? No, no. I'm personally, I love the heat, so I am excited for this. I'm always so cold. So are you feel so good. Are you from around here? Uh yeah, I uh born and raised raised in Washington. So uh Oh okay. I just I I'm just too skinny for this area, I think. <laughs> Don't have enough body fat on to give me a nice insulation when it gets cold. We've got a nice a nice enough selection of restaurants around here. I shouldn't think that that would be a problem, but you know, if you need some guidance, we can <laughs> can point you in the right direction of of ways to get fat for sure. Oh yeah. <laughs> so maybe uh, let's just kind of start from from the beginning. You know, uh, tell me about yourself and how you ended up you know, working at Sinusoid and what, you know, what kind of led you on, on your musical journey, so to speak. Yeah. Um, yeah, man, how I ended up at Sinusoid, it actually, uh, has to do a lot with, uh, my medical situation in life. Um, otherwise I never, never would have ended up there. Um, I was diagnosed with Crohn's disease when I was in middle school. Um, so about 12 years old, um, and then last or a year and a half ago, so November of 2017, I was diagnosed with cancer. Um, and so sinusoid, I ended up having a friend from college that knew the guys there. And then also Isaiah Dominguez, who is one of their artists. Um, he, uh, was actually a buddy of mine in high school. We were in a band together for a long time. Uh, in his wedding. Uh, and so I had like a couple random connections to them and they were looking for some part-time help. Uh, and while I was on chemo, that was about all I could do. And they're super, super awesome. Just working with my schedule and everything, um, going through that. And so I pretty much ended up at sinusoid cause I was looking for some part-time work, uh, while I was going through chemo. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, if I had never gotten sick, never would have ended up there. So weird kind of, you know, silver lining type of thing. But uh, <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Well, you landed it with a, a great bunch of dudes. I don't know how how involved were you in the in kind of like the gear world and the gear community and all that be before you landed there. What was your experience with all that? Yeah, so I grew up um, I've grown up. Uh, playing in the church 
Um, so guitar wise, I also grew up a drummer. My dad was a guitarist, so I've always played, um, but I didn't really get like serious about it until um, I started having friends with nice guitar gear at church. And I was like, oh, guitar looks fun because you have toys. Um, <laughs> so when I, I mean, because my experience with electric guitars was uh, the pop punk band I was in. And it was you plug straight into the amp. And I remember the first time uh, our guitarist got a delay pedal and it was like this game changing moment. And it was like one pedal. So that was that was my experience before uh, college. It was like, oh, you know, electric, you just plug into an amp. Uh, but once I started getting around the, uh, the, the church people with their big boards, I like to mess with things. So the, uh, the pedal board part of guitaring drew me in to play more. That's pre- that's pretty interesting. Uh, you know, a lot of people think maybe uh, maybe some, you know, I guess you would call them s- sort of snobbish people. Uh, they they're they're the straight in, which I think is less and less common these days. You know, you got to plug straight in or you can't get the tones, man. Uh, yeah, I don't think that's as common as it used to be. I man. And that's the thing is, like, I just get bored with the same sound so like if i'm not able to change stuff a lot and i know an amp you can you know a good amp you can get a lot of different voicings out of but i just love messing with stuff and having the ability to do something like even if i'm never going to do it it's nice to like but then i listen to people like Derek trucks who just plugs an sg into a I think he plays a princeton um and it's just like one of the best guitar tones I've ever heard. And I'm like, I could listen to this forever and it would never get old. So then I'm like, well, if I was better, I probably wouldn't <laughs> like effects as much. So I think it comes back to that. Maybe. I don't I don't know. I, I feel like I feel like once you give somebody like that, once they break into the world of, of effects and find all the the weird colors and and different palettes you can explore then it's just like it's that much better. I mean, it's always it's always good to have more skill, right? Derek Trucks is insane. But yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, that coupled with having the all the wonderful tools that we have at our at our disposal, I feel like is kind of the the one-two punch for this stuff. Yeah, I man, especially like I think lately like one of my favorite um, styles, play-wise and listening to just like super big ambient rock, like explosions in the sky type of stuff, and it's just like, mm-hmm. man, the effects just create so much space, and it's just like, ah, oh, it's amazing. So yeah, I, I guess you can't lean, and I mean that's the you know, easy way out. You just be in the middle. The right <laughs> things for the right uh, application, right? Right. Always. Every time. The right tool for the right job, so to speak. Or, like, if all you've gotten is an amp, I know plenty of churches that guitar shows up and it's just plug into the amp. And so I've actually done a lot of work trying to help people sound good 
in fill space, even if they're just plugging straight into an amp, because you can still do it. Oh, definitely. You know? So that's always interesting is kind of helping people play different because of to fit the equipment almost sometimes. Yeah, in in ex- in situations where I've had like l- a little more limited access to things, and I'm trying to sort of fill out the space by myself, or you know, replicate some of that a- more ambient stuff, I find myself kind of playing a lot more open strings and letting them kind of drone while I'm playing underneath of them. And uh, uh, I don't know if there's other techniques that you found to try to kind of mimic some of that feel. You can never you can never totally replicate a good reverb with just your your fingers but uh, uh just have you uh, found some techniques that maybe helped or made it easier yeah um one of the things i love to do um when i'm like sam leading worship from electric um i love using cut capos as much as i can um in that scenario because um the picking like if i'm able to just pick some open chords um, because there's so many more open strings you're getting, um, I feel like it helps create a ton of space. Um, so like open tunings too, um, you know, going down to dadgad or something, um, which a cut capo is essentially with different cording fingerings, but that idea of, yeah, getting those open strings exactly. And cut capos are, I love them. So I've really never played with one. I've seen them, but I've 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 just have the old classic pinch on straight bar style. I, I I've never messed with a with one of those capos before. Yeah, if you have a a Kaiser capo, which is like the it has like the fancy curl at the top. Um, mm-hmm. But those ones, if you have like a normal six string Kaiser capo, you can turn it around and use it as a cut capo backwards um, most of the time. Um, and so it's kind of fun to mess around with um, pretty much what it's doing if you're using it on uh, capo 2. You're pretty uh-huh. much getting an open E tuning the same as dadgad, um, but just an E. Um, Interesting. And so, okay. yeah. And then the weird thing, though, you have to wrap your mind around sometimes is if you play in dadgad so you know your fingerings for chords, because it's a capo and three of the strings are now two frets off from what dadgad would be, you have to change a lot of your chordings. Um, And I remember the first time I couldn't wrap my head around why it wasn't working, and then I realized, oh, the strings are not in the same place, so frets are going to be... One of those moments I felt not very smart, but <laughs> I I have that uh, almost you know five to nine times a day, so don't feel too bad about <laughs> that. It's okay, perfectly normal thing. I like I'm sitting here going, wow, I, you know what? I've seen these before, but I've never really messed with them, and now I'm very curious, and we'll probably be hitting up Amazon later to figure out. Or actually, where I should be going, Amazon, how silly of me, should be going to ToneMob.com slash Reverb for all of there my gear acquisition yeah. needs. How silly of me back. to even suggest. Yeah, forget you, Jeff Bezos. You're, you're good <laughs> enough. Not to, not to bash on a, 
fellow Washingtonian or anything on. I don't know how serious you guys are about Jeff up there. Um, honestly, the convenience of Amazon, I'm never going to complain about, but I hate how big Seattle is getting. So I'm not the biggest fan of cities when they're crazy tech company overridden. Yeah, Seattle's Seattle's nuts. I mean, it's it really has. I mean, Portland's grown a lot, but we don't have those big tech drivers like you guys do. And yeah, and just the way your city is kind of positioned, you know, it it doesn't have as much room to expand. It can only kind of go a few no. different ways because you're butted up against the the bay there. Um, yep. Yeah, and the water like, on the other side. Right. There's just no, there's nowhere for it to go, but like up <laughs> and it's already yeah, and it, pretty, pretty up. <laughs> um, have you, have you guys up there like experienced any, anything good other than the, the obvious job flow or job that comes into the area and all that stuff is, has there been any benefits? Cause every time I go up to Seattle, I'm like, geez, there's so many cars. <laughs> what do we do? Yeah. The, and it's crazy too. Uh, being in Nam in LA, that was my first time in LA and like mm-hmm. realizing how small the traffic is like Seattle traffic is bad. And I know like Portland traffic is terrible, but seeing a place like LA and you're like, Oh, well at least it's not this. Um, yeah, for sure. But I mean, it's funny too. Cause I'm a computer science major. So like I should love the tech <laughs> boom or whatever but right um i think the one nice thing is it's making a lot of new like there's a lot of new stuff so as somebody who has frequented many many public restrooms it's always nice when buildings and stuff are new and you get like a nice bathroom and that's a Uh. very random way to look at it but just going to a restaurant when it's a newer, you know, like just new stuff is nice. So. Especially in a bathroom and especially yeah. in a public bathroom, <laughs> the newer, yeah. the newer, the better. Everything's just easier to clean and you just, you just feel a little more at ease with the task mm-hmm. in hand. Yep. hundred percent. So you mentioned that you became drawn to the guitar because of all the all the toys and the pedals associated with it. So what was what was your first rig like? So my first my first electric that I bought myself that was like a not like a starter guitar. Um, first electric was a a used Tele off of Guitar Center, um, and then. I I remember I have a picture on my Instagram somewhere and I had I bought a a full drive 2 off a buddy of mine. Um I had a Polytune Nor, the black one. Mm-hmm. And then I had like an old Boss compressor my dad had um and a DD20. Ooh, I think that bad. was like the first couple. Yeah, and like um, and then I was playing through my dad's old Mesa Boogie, um, which he then had lined through 
um, a an old like seventies Music Man four by ten. Oh, cool! Yeah, like just a really beefy combo. Um, yeah, that's gnarly. That you know, I'm playing at like one, and then <laughs> you know, never actually played it anywhere. Um, but then my first amp in that world was a um, I got. Oh man, I found a killer Craigslist steal for. It was a a Vox AC4 head with a mm-hmm. uh, with an Epiphone Valve Junior cab, and it was one fifty for the pair of them. Oh, um, that is screaming! Yeah, and it was like pristine condition. Like it was just this random guy in Olympia, and I remember I wasn't even looking to buy an amp, but I saw it on Craigslist, and I was like, "Holy crap! This is too cheap to pass up!" Like. I was with a buddy of mine, and I was like, hey, can we go pick this up right now? Because this is not going to last. Um, played that for a while. Uh, so yeah, like a a Mexi Tele, full drive 2, DD20, and my dad's old Mesa and Music Man combo. Uh, yeah, and uh, you know, a DD20... There's just so much you can do with it, and it's not even oh, yeah, like those one are of great. crazy. And so, like, that lasted for a while. I think I added a, a core, a pog mini. Next, um, oh, I had a, um, I had a, a guy I knew in the uh, Olympia area. Is when I was living in Olympia, Washington. Uh, I had him dr- build me a custom uh, a Timmy and a Little Green Wonder clone. And I had some like Lord of the Rings artwork I printed and put on it. Uh, oh, nice. And I, I think that's the only pedal I have from like my initial kind of foray into the... first the, rig type, yeah. Yeah, I think that's the only thing that's left from that first rig. Um, I got... I got really lucky. I had a second job. Like, right when I was starting to get into guitar, I got, like, a random second job putting uh, decals on promotional hockey sticks. Super random, (laughs) but I got paid under the table, and I had, like, this random side income under the table that was like, oh, I can just throw money at gear that has no other purpose. And so... Right, right. Updating and... That was probably like the bulk of the first, like, oh, let's, you know, fill out the board. Um, and then ended up building my own pedal board, um, which went way better than it should have for a first time thing. Right. Um, like, me and my dad did it, and then a buddy of mine like rounded the edges for us because we didn't have a router. But then I like Tolexed it and it worked way. I was like, oh, I got super lucky because this Tolex doesn't look terrible. Um, (laughs) You know, one of those things where you're like, well, I can watch as many YouTube videos as I want, but push comes to shove when you actually apply it, you never know. So, oh, 
totally. Uh, Tolex is a weird thing to work with, too, if you've never... I've only worked with it like twice and it was it was amazing at what you could do with it. It's like if you, you know, if you practice a little bit, it's like, oh, I can hide that seam like. How, yeah, how? if you work it. <laughs> yeah, so I think. I think there's like maybe a 16th of an inch or like a 32nd of an inch. Where I had cut it. Too short and so like. There's technically a slit on the side of the board, but I was like, well, it's not super noticeable. But the rounded edges, I realized. Later. Yeah, and I was I was originally going to pipe it, and then I got lazy. And I found a suitcase that it fit in perfectly, and I was like, I'm just going to let this be a living board now. Uh, um, yeah, that makes sense. Which, it just makes things easy, and it's a pain in the butt to get out of the suitcase, because it, it was literally like... I don't know how it happened, but I built the board, and then months later, an old bandmate of mine was like, oh, hey, you should see if your board fits in that old suitcase we used to haul our, our cables in. And I had to pull out, like, the, it's in, like, an old, you know, 50s hard vintage suitcase or whatever, and I had to pull right. out the lining, but the board fit, like, it it was like I had had those dimensions in my head from, you know, high school or something. Because for some reason, I built the board and it fit corner to corner perfectly in the suitcase. And I was like, this should not be a thing at all. <laughs> it was custom, but it was custom made. You just didn't know it. I, dude, it was, I was like, no, no way it's going to fit. And then, like, I held it up to it and I was like, oh, if I take out these, like, this lining and the screws or whatever, or the pins or whatever we're holding in, I was like, it might actually fit. And then I put it Dropped in and right I was like, in. well, it's not going to come out easy, so I guess we'll just leave it in. So I had to take off the hinges for the suitcase, and now I have two belts with the clasps because there's no other way to close it. <laughs> oh, right, right, right. But, uh, yeah, because I tried to find, like, hinges that were uh, patchable, like, separatable, but mm -hmm. for some reason, it was way harder to find than I thought, so I just ended up keeping it as a living yeah, with the belt. Yeah, fine. It'll look, uh, it's classy that way, you know, it's like a, a, traveling, a traveling guitarsman with his old vintage yeah. suitcase full, full of fancy pedals and whatnot. Yeah, I just, I feel so hipster sometimes, and I'm like, it's not, I really, it just, it just worked out. <laughs> Don't assume <laughs> that I'm, you know, super hipster guitarist because just of my Just admit it, John, it's okay. Board. It's okay. We're in the PNW, I guess, yeah, I'm like default at least 25% hipster, I think. I, yeah, I've come to accept it, you know, uh, I, I, find myself occasionally sipping some single source coffee at a record shop and I'm like, you know what? Mm. I'm a hipster. And so I guess I am. That's fine. I guess I just have to accept yeah. it and just go with I, it. And I think my love of cardigans and scarves too. It's just like, well, okay. I guess I guess I'm part of that family. There's such a wide variety of hipsters. I mean, if you go, there's, yeah. there's I think there's even a book about it. 
I mean, a I Portland hipster versus a Seattle hipster. I mean, similar compared to the rest of the country, but even then, very different. I, so I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I haven't spent enough time analyzing the Seattle hipster. What would you say the differences are? I would think the Seattle hipster is going to be, and maybe I don't know Portland enough, but Portland to me seems chiller. I think a Seattle hipster is going to be way more uptight and snobby, and your Portland hipster is going to be a lot more chill and agreeable. I could say that I can say that you're probably right about that, but I can't base it upon a hipster comparison. I have to base it upon my interactions with the the homeless po- uh, population of both cities. Okay. Um, the the for the most part the the homeless population in Portland is pretty low key for the most part. Uh, they yeah. they kind of leave they kind of leave people alone. But I whenever I go to Seattle, I feel like I'm being shook down. They're like, hey man. It's, like I had a guy following me around after like for a like five minutes. Like, hey man, can you spare some? I'm like, I don't have any cash. He's like, well, if you could you just yeah. go in this ATM and get this out? I'm like, no. <laughs> like, <laughs> you're starting to make this really weird. Like, uh, and so, and and I've had that happen a couple times in Seattle. So you, if the if the homeless to homeless or hipster kind of thing crosses over, then maybe maybe there's yeah. some truth to that nugget. Seattle just has a snobbiness that comes across in a lot of people. And I think it's part of the tech thing, but I think it's also like, I feel like there's this weird, like Seattle's like one of the big cities, you know, like when people ask where you're from, you're like, Oh, Seattle, if they don't know Washington, but it's not like a really big city. Like it's almost, I feel like Seattle is like, Oh, yeah, like we'll group Seattle in because it's the biggest in Washington or whatever. But it's it's not like an L.A. or a Houston or something. And so I feel like it has like this like. Well, we're better than you because of all this other stuff, even though we're not in actual big city. <laughs> I don't know. It's weird. Like, I feel like Seattle's trying to prove itself sometimes it's almost got like a little man syndrome if it were a city exactly yeah seattle would definitely drive a lifted four by four f350 (laughs) with big rims and big tires big rims and like just the biggest like gun rack and like the huge like yeah uh i (laughs) remember seattle were a city it's the lifted f350 of cities my band director in high school was this short, he was probably five, 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 six, maybe. And he drove this So short huge and small. Truck. It's so tiny. I can't believe humans even are that short. Wait a minute. Well, he might have been even smaller <laughs> than that, actually. Like, anyway, <laughs> he drove this huge truck that was just so disproportionate to him. And he was, actually, he ended up getting arrested. Oh, whoa. <laughs> this took a turn. Yeah, sophomore year of high school, we left for spring break, and then we came back, and we had a sub. And then a week later, our <laughs> band director was in the front page of the newspaper after, like, a sting operation in Idaho at, like, a Boy Scout Whoa. camp. And it's just like, oh, okay. Well. And then our new band hey. director was awesome. So we got we got lucky. Um, that all and worked as, like, out the for kid, the better, then. 
Well, and I was like in high school, I was like super tiny. Freshman year, I was four ten. Um, I was just the small kid, and uh, I was like just about to start taking lessons with him, like private lessons after school with him. And I was like, oh well, dodged a bullet. Like I already looked way younger than a high schooler should. And uh, yeah, not the uh, not the best sophomore year for band, but no, no, that's that's really that's really really rough. Um, it <laughs> if it makes yeah. you feel any better, I have a somewhat. Uh, somewhat similar experience where I had a not from my piano teacher, but my piano teacher when I was a kid rented a room out from this guy uh, just for a very brief uh, period of time. This guy had this piano shop Mm -hmm. and it was like a piano shop. It was a big old building like piano shop downstairs, like apartments upstairs type of thing. And that guy got arrested. The guy who owned the place uh, he got arrested later because he had done a big renovation on that building and he had people living there and stuff. Well, that dude was uh, that dude was crawling in the walls and had oh. like holes cut in the, you know, like like seriously, like out of psycho, like he was crawling in the walls and like looking at his tenants and stuff. It was That's super, super creepy. Terrifying. Yeah, he super went to prison <laughs> once <laughs> that got um. I had only been there like a couple times, but like after a while it was like, what what happened to the music shop? Like, oh yeah, the guy was mega creep and was crawling in the walls and looking at his tendons. It's like, oh wow. That's some dedication. Because he went through a full like renovation to make that happen. It was an intense renovation because I was there when they were doing it. It was a full gut of that building and with some custom oh, modifications man. apparently. It just makes Weird me people think in of... this world. Um, are you a Bob's Burgers fan at all? I've watched it? A, I've watched it a few times. Yeah, it's a good show. There's a uh, just the crawl spaces in that is that's what it's making me think of. Yeah, it's so it, there's it's any Bob's like Burgers that, fans? I yeah, I think this was before Bob's Burgers was a thing, so I I don't yeah. even know if we can give him a pass there. <laughs> but I do think when I picture it in my head, yeah, it is kind of similar to that. Okay, yeah, I mean, oh, that's just, that's just weird. I had a, it's I lived of, with it's a guy making once. making my skin crawl. I wish I hadn't brought it up. <laughs> oh. I lived with a guy once uh, in a duplex, and they were like, the houses were back to back instead of side to side. Um, and we were like 99% sure these people were doing drugs of some sort in their, like, cooking or something. Oh, um, right. It was just like, this guy was just seemed drugged out all the time he um it was when the five the iphone 5s was coming out but my my roommate the guy i was living with had ordered it and uh we get a knock at the door and his the guy that lived in the other side of the duplex like had this open iphone box he's like hey i think this is yours i ordered the same one so i thought it was mine and i opened it and we were like, "What? thanks. Huh? And it was like, obviously not his name on the box. He had tried to activate the phone, I'm pretty sure, and realized that like it was already synced to my buddy's account. So he like right. couldn't use it. And we were like, okay, this is 
this guy is, it just always felt weird. Turns out they were cooking meth in there and they like had to like strip down the entire inside of that apartment side and like redo the entire house because they had been cooking meth in this. I was like, oh, sweet. I lived on the other side of that wall. Who knows? It's good for me. It's good. It's good for my health. This is wonderful. You know, I've heard and I don't know if it's I don't know if it's true. I when I was a kid, I I worked for a painter for a while. And and that was one of the things we had to do is we we re like redid a math, a meth, well, redid a f- former meth lab, like repainted everything and basically restored it. I didn't have to do any of like the serious cleanup. So it was pretty uh-huh. it was fairly clean by the time I got there. But like I was told that I, I, I don't know if this is true, but I was told recently that in Oregon it. To a certain degree, if there's been meth cooked in it, like you can't even do that anymore. It's like a teardown situation. I don't know if that's true or not, oh. but that's what I was. Told. I wouldn't be surprised gets to a certain point. Like I just, it seems so sketch, and I don't. I haven't, I haven't watched all of Breaking Bad, so I don't even know the the meth cooking situation. But like, it just seems like it would not be healthy to be (laughs) to leave stuff like it just seems so intense when i think about meth and cooking meth it just seems like a very intense process yeah i think it's i think it probably is i think it's from what i gather it's fairly simple but it's it's also like extremely toxic but i think i think once you're like at that point i guess it doesn't really matter (laughs) to to those people it's a yeah. it's a it's a terrible thing. Don't do drugs, kids. Come on, it's bad. Yeah, get, get it seriously, together. people. Don't, get it together. Don't, don't do them. Don't do them. It's bad. Yeah, you'll end up with a refrigerator on your head, just like that guy in Breaking Bad. Oh, I don't know if you were like to that dissolved point in a bathtub. Didn't That's they do right. that to one guy? They did. They totally dissolved a, ba- a guy in a bathtub. And they used the wrong like, chemical. Yeah. Or. He used the wrong. He didn't get the right bucket from the store, wasn't it? Like he had to get a certain type of plastic, and then he was like, "I'm Jesse. I don't care what you say." And then, like, it dissolved through the bathtub and the like floor because it was on the. I think it was on the second floor. Like dead body juice just like poured through the floor. It was kind of an amazing episode, if I'm being honest. That show was pretty great. I I think I got through season two, maybe. And I just, I, it didn't hook me as much as I was expecting it to, but like my, I'm like a fantasy guy, so not quite my perfect wheelhouse of show. So yeah, you're going to, you're, uh, you're going to be on the Game of Thrones train then. Oh, oh man. Yes. <laughs> I, I, I should, because be. it's so, I, 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 well, I should, before we get into it, I should say I should be. I'm a big Tolkien fan. I'm a big fantasy guy. I like playing D&D and all that stuff. But for some reason, uh, I just haven't been. A, I, I think I got through season one of Game of Thrones and it was like, why isn't this grabbing me the way I thought huh. it would? And I think it's because I waited so long and everyone was like, you're going to love it. You're going to love it. You're going to love it. And yeah, that's and I and it was I just got overhyped on it, I think. Yeah, and it's crazy because, especially nowadays, with how big it's gotten, like, it's weird to think when it first came out that it wasn't, it wasn't, like, this huge thing, 
Like you look back at season one, and like it's a very different production quality. It's HBO, so it's still pretty high, but like it's crazy how big it got. And like as somebody who's read the books too, it's really interesting to see that now there's going to be all these people that are like the Game of Thrones show fans. And like I feel like the books, if he never finishes them, like are going to fall away and like be forgotten because of how so? big it I mean, if he doesn't finish them, I think they'll never be as big as the show. If he finishes them, it's going to be super interesting because it's going to be different than what the show did, story-wise. And so, I just like, I feel bad that they finished the series before he finished the books. Because now, he has the pressure of, well, this is what people are expecting, and it's always going to be compared to the show, whereas most everything that's a show based on a book, everything's already been written. So if you deviate from it, it's always getting compared to the book. But now his books are going to be compared to the show, which people are like freaking out about this last season. And I feel like complaining so much, but I don't get it. I'm super easily entertained, though, like, I rarely walk into a movie and think, that was a terrible movie. Like, I'm just like, oh yeah, like, that was, that was good. I'm not and a movie critic at all. Yeah, I, I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit both ways. I, I, it's kind of a mood thing for me. You know, if somebody's, okay. if I'm like, okay, I'm going to go watch this, what is supposed to be a really excellent film then I kind of have my movie critic hat on to a degree. But if I'm like, I'm going to go watch this, this new, you know, Seth Rogen movie, like, all right, it'll be fun. You know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to worry about it too much. Or even, you know, a Marvel movie, which I love Marvel and superheroes and all that. But even that I can like, okay, yeah, guys are going to be flying. They're going to be in tights. So I got to, I got to already just kind of go in with that and and go from there. Yeah, I think, the only movies that I have like felt like a critic and really not enjoyed was probably the last Hobbit movie. I was just like, I remember just being feeling so let down because like the first one after Lord of the Rings, I mean, I, I grew up on the original trilogy. Like I, would fall asleep almost every night of high school. I just put them on, put the commentaries on, like all the special features, you know, extended everything. I was like, I just would fall asleep to that stuff almost every night of high school. Um, And so like when the Hobbit was coming out, I was so, so excited and ready. And like the first one, I remember just having a smile on my face, like the entire movie. And then like the second and third ones, man, I was just, like one of the only times I felt extremely let down from the movie. But besides yeah, that, I'm I, usually, and I think it's because I cared about, like I loved the world and the book and everything so much. So, which most movies I have no real attachment to. Yeah. Yeah. I could totally see that. I, I was the same way. I'm a big fan of all that stuff. I didn't quite go to the extreme that you did with watching 
things late into the night. But I was <laughs> obviously a big fan. I read the books, you know, way, you know, way before the movies or way before the movies came out and I saw them, you know, I was deep in all that stuff. And mm-hmm. uh, I similarly had a, a almost the exact same experience you did with The Hobbit. I was like, oh, this is going to be so awesome because The Hobbit personally was always my one of my favorite Tolkien books. Um, and maybe it's because it's the first one I read, but regardless. And so I had the same experience. I walked in. I was like, the first one was great. And then the second and third, I was like, oh, like I wasn't like totally yeah. bummed because there was definitely some redeeming qualities about it. But yeah, I got done. Like and I was like, well, that wasn't what I wanted exactly. It's like it's visually entertaining to watch. But when you know The Hobbit, I was just like, oh, this is it, it didn't feel like The Hobbit I knew. And so, no, like, I feel like there's just there's too much added in and changed. And I knew they were going to do that. They're like, oh, we have, you know, work from the appendices that we're going to be adding in. But there's so much stuff that was added in that wasn't like lore. But I was just like, oh, okay. Elf, dwarf, okay. Worms <laughs> that burrow through the ground. Like, was that really necessary? I'm not, yeah, I'm not really sure about that. It seems a little out there. I think that was one of the biggest, like, WTF moments I've had in the movie. Like, those worms popped out of the ground, and I was just like, what? Like, what are these? Yeah. Like, <laughs> I was so confused. And I think that was like the final straw for me. I was just like, okay, this is, this is not what I wanted. I'm not going to have some last minute redeem at the end. No, it's too late. It's already too far gone. But what's so, so nice is us... that. <laughs> oh, oh go No, go ahead. I was going to say to get us a little bit back on the gear train. Uh, <laughs> I don't yeah. know. <laughs> this, this does connect a little bit, but uh, there you go. All right. Yeah, the I don't know if you've ever seen uh, Ed Chu, and I've talked about this on multiple episodes lately. It's it's become my my go to drive pedal for you know quite a while. The wrought iron effects Orchrist overdrive. I don't know if you've mm. seen that or not. Yes, um, it's right up your alley. Iron, I so I was super tempted um, to I redid my drive section. Um when was this right before the new year i think um and i was extremely tempted to try and base all of my drive section off of mythical stuff and so Uh i have the tumless deluxe because i was like it's a solid clon clone and it has tumness on it i was like even if i'm I'm also not a super audiophile, so I'm like, man, if I have a clone style, like, there's not a lot that I'm looking for specifically in it. Um, mm-hmm. And so the Orchrist was another one I was looking at that I was thinking about trying to do. Um, there is a... I thought it was... Oh, yeah, it is Rod Iron Effects. They also have um, an Aslan pedal. Yes. Um, Different overdrive. And, yeah. Yeah. So and I was like, man, it'd be so awesome to have because then my that custom dual overdrive I have, um, it has the um, the image of smog over the Lonely Mountain from the map in The Hobbit. I got oh, that, nice. and I like put that on as the decal. So I call it the Lonely Mo- Mountain Overdrive. Um, and I was like, man, 
if I could just have an entire like fantasy drive section. Um, but I didn't go with that. So what'd you end up going with? Um, what do I have right now? I've got um the so I've got the the Tumnus Deluxe, um, which I love. I've got the 1981, um, mm-hmm. which I mean I'm assuming everybody on your podcast has heard of it already. But seriously, guys, that thing it's amazing. It's my favorite drive pedal I've ever heard. Um, and I I actually got it as a wedding present from a buddy in Nashville uh, that knows oh, Matt. Nice. Um, he was like, hey. Um, I got one of these, but he uh, he's a pedal builder out there, actually, AWOL Pedals. Um, oh, yeah, I've met him before. Yeah, so Aaron Wall, I uh, I went to school mm-hmm. with him, um, and uh, actually, I remember he, we were, were super close when he started building pedals for the first time, and so, like, his little one-bedroom apartment, his entire kitchen table area was just always a mess with pedal building stuff. But uh, he got me that 1981 pedal. Um, awesome stuff. Guys, go check out AWOL Pedals um, as a plug there. Uh, and then I've got the... Uh, I've got a steak and egg. So I have the Morning Glory. Mm-hmm. Um, honestly, I have too much drive because I was originally just going to do the steak and eggs, the 1981, and the Tumnus. Um, but I couldn't get rid of that Lonely Mountain Overdrive. It was like, you know, my first custom boutique pedal. Um, and so I just like threw it on the board and I'm like, I have five drives on my board right now that are all different enough that I can use them differently, but it just feels like super overkill, but it's more so it's like, well, I have the space, so I might as well just put this pedal I have on. Um, if you got the space and you don't have anything else you're trying or that's trying to fill it, you might as well. Yeah. So, um, and I don't have a boost right now, so pretty much the little green wonder I use primarily as just a boost, picking up lead light and stuff. So, kind of like one of mm-hmm. them's a boost instead of a drive, but you know what's the the real difference between those and one? But uh, yeah. So that's the that's the drive section I have right now. So it's 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 got. 50% fantasy stuff on it. So. And then how does it, what's the rest of the chain look like? Um, so after that, we've got, so steak and eggs into that and that and that. So then going to a pog two, um, and then volume pedal, which was a modded BP junior, by AWOL pedals actually. So another plug there. Um oh, and then after that What was that? What did he do to it? Uh so it's a, a tone buffer mod. Um so it uh has the buffered dual output um for the tuner. Um Okay. And yeah. So, you know, kind of standard VP Junior mod. Yeah. So then out of that we're going into a uh, a Matthews Effects um, special edition chemist. So it's the chemist with the backwards three. Um, 
And so it's a blackout pedal he did where he switched out the phaser for a um, chorus vibe or a trem. Trem, oh, okay. yeah, because it has the chorus vibe, octaves, and trem. Um, and I was looking for like an octave or a, a trem or a chorus vibe something. Um, and then uh, Rick announced he was doing this pedal that was going to have a trem in it and the chorus vibe as a special edition. And I jumped on that um, to kind of fill both of those things at the same time. Um, so then we go that into a... Um, shoot, I always forget the name. It's the... Uh, wow. The Maleco Echo. Um, oh, the 616? Yes. Mm-hmm. So... I forgot about those. I, those. Those are great. Yeah, I had a, I had a carbon copy first, um, and I just I hated the, uh, the mod settings on the inside of the pedal. Um, uh huh. I wanted to be able to tweak those way easier. So, fun weird random fact: I sold it on Craigslist up here, and the guy that bought it was like one of the sound guys at xbox that did like um like the halo sound soundtracks and stuff like he worked on and he was like yeah i'm gonna i'm buying this to use in the studio recording for xbox titles and i was like oh shit <laughs> <laughs> like you know a little bit of a like oh i just met somebody that's like legit um like out he, of the yeah blue. he's doing he's gonna do something with this yeah like oh my 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 little carbon copy is probably on, maybe on something. Um, a, Master Chief, you know, it's got his a slapback on his foot stomps <laughs> or something. I don't know. Yeah. Um, and then, so out of the Maleco Echo, and then into a timeline, into a big sky. Oh, there uh, you go. So, and then I have, I have like a little input buffer. Um, and then two foot controllers for the timeline in the big sky. One from AWOL Puddles again, and then another Analog Endeavors. Uh, but yeah, so that's my that's my chain right now. That's the, that's the board. That's a that's a pretty solid setup, although I, I gotta be honest, it's a little bit lacking in fuzz for me. I, man, I have never been able to get on the fuzz train and I don't know what it is, because I hear good fuzz, like that part in the Halo song, like, dun, 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 dun. Mm-hmm. like, I'm like, oh, that's just a sweet fuzz, like, good sounding guitar. And then whenever I play fuzz, I just don't know, think I know how to play with fuzz, because to me, it just sounds like a a very, like, dirty, unclean, untight drive, whereas I really like a crisp, clean drive sound. And so I think fuzz just is like, I think it's supposed to be something that it's not. Um, yeah. Although, Rick Matthews has been telling me to check out the Whaler, this V2 that he's got. So that might that might have to be my first foray into fuzz. The V1, I have a V1, and it's really great. 
like I've I've really I really liked it. I feel like it's been I, the whaler I played. So now let me back up a little bit. Several years ago, Rick came down and we went to the Benson shop back when Chris was okay. just in his garage behind his house. And this was back when Periscope first started. Oh, and yeah. I said, wouldn't wouldn't it be great if we like did a live stream from Chris's shop and we like showed off all his amps and showed off all his pedals or all your pedals. And so we we all met up and we went and did this live stream thing on Periscope. And it was it was a disaster because that's how <laughs> all live streams are for the most part. Uh, and uh, I mean, it was it was we did have a surprising amount of people that showed up to watch it. Um, but yeah, I just have this weird memory. Anyway, the point is I played through all of Rick's pedals that day. And the one I ended up buying was the Whaler. And I okay. think I think it's a very underrated fuzz. And I'm very curious how the V2 turned out. Yeah, apparently the V2 is like a complete overhaul. Like it's a different, completely different fuzz pedal. Um, and everything I've heard, and I, I played it at NAM, but not being a fuzz guy, I didn't really know what I was looking for. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I mean, it it sounded good uh, as far as fuzz from a not fuzz person. So um, now that I and because of this, like it's been on my mind lately of like I I need to figure out fuzz. So I think next time I get a chance playing around with it, I'll have a better appreciation for what it is. I, I think I've found for people who generally say that they like the sound of fuzz, but they can't make it work for them. I think it's a lot of, and this is just my theory, but it seems to be a lot of people that are expecting it to respond to their playing and their pick attack the way an overdrive might. Mm. And, and they respond completely different. And fuzz is such a wide ranging effect. I'm being very general here, but they, they generally, they just, they just respond different. So you'll you'll hit your note expecting, you know, if you're ex- expecting like a nice, crisp, tight thing, it's going to like kind of sag more and respond yeah. just a little bit differently. And if you're prepared for that, I think you can you can start playing with it and figuring out how it works with everything. That would be my one suggestion for for fuzz newbies. Yeah, I think. And again, I think the number of fuzzes I've played, I've played a, a foot fuzz, a JHS foot fuzz. A Big Muff Pie, like one of the, it's uh, my buddy has, it's a smaller version and it's like white and green. I can't remember which exact one it is. Oh, I know what you're talking about, but I can't remember which version that is either. It's not the deluxe, yeah. I think it's something else. Yeah, something similar. And then the Whaler. So, again, things I've played in person, very small amount. So there's probably fuzz out there that I'm, and again, like, my primary playing is usually in a worship setting, and I feel like it hasn't quite made its way into mainstream super all the time being used, and so I haven't really had a use for it um, yet. But I think it's getting used more and more. One of these days, one of these guys from one of those churches is going to use a op-amp Big Muff on a track, and everyone's mind's going to break. I'm just, I'm convinced of it. It'll be sounding like smashing pumpkins up in there. <laughs> Take it back 20 years. Yes, I love it. <laughs> so we are, we are kind of getting down to close to the end. And I didn't mean to 
to gloss over anything uh, in the beginning when you we were talking about your diagnosis and everything. But I did. Uh, we kind of we took a trail down the fantasy turn and I, yeah. I meant to get back to it. But I was I was actually curious because I I feel like, you know, as musicians, when we go through hard times and things that that are playing and, and listening to this, uh, this wonderful thing we call music can sometimes help us. Have you, have you experienced that through, you know, what you've had to deal with? Yeah, it's actually really funny too. So I was, uh, in middle school. So when I was first diagnosed, um, and at the time, um, I was playing music. I grew up playing music, but I was also, uh, I was super into soccer. I was playing uh, like a club level soccer. Um, and the, the diagnosis then, um, because I, uh, my Crohn's was unresponsive to pretty much every medication. I'd done like clinical trials. I'd done everything. Um, and it was never fully in remission. Um, but because of that, um, and the, the subsequent having to go to the bathroom, you know, anywhere from 10 to 20 times a day uh right. wasn't really able to play sports anymore um at least at a level high competitive level and because of that i ended up i think pressing into music a lot more um because it was something i could do usually close to a bathroom um and right. so it's kind of funny how it was almost like a chicken and egg thing of i pressed into music because i kind of had to or because that was the the easier outlet and the more accessible. Um, but at the same time, like the music was better for my life than playing high level sports would have ever been. Um, and so it is, it is kind of funny that I, I took that route. Um, and it, you know, helped me. And it was, it's funny cause I was still doing, if you think about, you know, playing a set, Say you have a, you know, even a 30, 45 minute set. I mean, if you have to poop in the middle of that, um, and in, you know, 14 years of playing with that situation, um, playing at church on the weekends, playing shows, there was, I think like less than a handful of times where that timing happened and like just while playing, cause I was like, well, I'm not just going to run off in the middle of a song. Um, and so, yeah, it's like this weird, like, even though it was still hard sometimes, the music, like, I think it's one of those things, like, people know, I think sometimes that they're like, yeah, I'm, I was like, I'm made for music. Like, this is, this is a big part of me. Um, and for me, playing, I think playing live is more so that I, surprisingly don't listen to a lot of music so it's not like there was a lot of like like there's no songs that are like man in this time this song really spoke to me or anything um because i right. i pretty much listen to music when i'm driving to and from places um and then i don't really put music on a lot other than that um and so for me it's more the the playing um and the writing parts and songs uh that's more therapeutic in a sense i guess would be the word but helps me because um, it's something that i'm like man i'm i'm supposed to, like this is something i'm 
I'm good at and, uh, you know, for me, feel like I'm created to do uh, is to be creative in that way. And uh, being able to do it while being sick is huge. Um, so I was, I was just in the hospital uh, and uh, it was like I had a guitar. Andy um, from Sinusoid brought a guitar and then I ended up getting like a little Martin backpacker uh, to have in the hospital room. Um, and I didn't play nearly as much as I, I hoped I could have. I had so much free time that I could probably be a pretty good guitarist right now. Uh, but I mean, just being able to pick up a guitar and play in a hospital, like, was game changing. It was like, oh, I'm still there. Like, I still have this part of me, even when everything else is like, so. Right. Yeah, music right. definitely important in those times i think did it did it help you like just kind of like find a sense of purpose sort of in some ways because i feel like when you're bedridden and and kind of locked down you start to feel sort of like a a drain or a weight on people did did playing kind of help at least it has for me in my little short stints that i've had to be down in bed or down for any time i kind of start feeling like like I'm just dragging everyone down. Um, does does that that kind of alleviate that, or or did you not experience that, or how did that how did that kind of manifest itself? I don't I don't know if I ever resonated with that. I more so I may well maybe a little. I think my mindset was always like a like everybody just go on with your lives. Like yes, I want to see people, and yes, I you know I want people to care about me. I want to feel loved, but at the same time, like, I don't want, yeah, I guess I don't want to be a drain around people in the sense of feeling like people have to be around or anything. Um, yeah, with the, I don't know how much the music played into that, though. Right. I mean, is it a, is it more of a distraction or does it kind of, is it like, for me personally, it's like a, uh, uh, almost a purpose filling thing or for you is it more just yeah. kind of a distraction no definitely a a purpose filling thing and because and I think because I didn't do it as often it was showing more that for me when I would like pick up the guitar or something there'd have to be a reason behind it and so it was either like I had an idea writing wise or I had like a tune in my head that I, you know, wanted to get out. Um, or I like just wanted to like almost like remind myself that I could do it. Um, and so there was always like, it was never like, oh, just pick up the guitar and noodle for no reason. I feel like every time I picked it up, it was like, there's a reason. I was like, oh, I feel like I want to get this out. Um, so for me, that was. Yeah, there's more deliberateness behind it. Do you have any advice or maybe uh, just some insights that you've gained through the process that that somebody who's going through something similar might you you know might be able to learn from you or or take away? Um, man, I don't know. I got. It was, it was really funny because, like, all these things you think of when you're like, oh, man, if I had free time, what would I do with all my free time? 
Um, and so I was in the hospital two and a half months and like, it gets to a point where there's, there's too much free time. Um, and so for me, it was really important to stay connected with people. Um, and like look forward to things still. I know that can be really hard when like stuff's not going well. Um, mm -hmm. Like I'm, I'm such a planner that like, I guess I'm planning for the bad outcomes too, but like, I'm like, man, like if things go good, um, thinking about the future. Um, and then, yeah, just like, I would say sometimes you got to do things even when you don't want to. Um, okay. Because once you start doing it, it'll be like, oh yeah, like, no. Because when you have so much free time and you're in a situation like that, it can just be so lethargic and apathetic and like, I just don't want to do anything. Um, so like sometimes pushing yourself to do something when you otherwise don't want to can really help. I think that's a that's that's I think that last part you just said is kind of in, in not not in every facet, but in in many areas of life. I feel like that is that is the answer. Sometimes sometimes just digging in and getting your hands dirty, so to speak, and, yeah. and all that is just exactly what you need, uh, even if it doesn't seem like what you need at the time, because, you know, I mean, nobody wants to do a thing they don't want to do. <laughs> but but once you actually yeah. dive in and you're done, it's like okay, I'm glad I'm actually glad I did that type of deal. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, yeah, practice I think is like the thing that comes to mind most with that. It's like every time I practice and get better, I'm like, oh, that's awesome. Whenever I think about practicing, I'm like, this sounds terrible. <laughs> I don't want to do Ooh. this. Ooh, maybe I should take a page out of your book. I haven't. I haven't intentionally practiced much in quite a while. I play a lot, but I haven't like intentionally oh, sat down. And I'm tried the same to get way. Better. I, I maybe the last time I intentionally practiced was when I was trying to get a drum part down or a guitar part for like a specific lead line or something. But I'm, I'm very bad at intentionally practicing. So I should take a page in my own book. To be honest, let's say that. <laughs> I think, I think most musicians could probably probably say the same thing if i'm being totally honest yeah like i knew one kid in high school who was to like practice four to five hours a day after school and like that's rare like i think most people could definitely spend more time i just don't know what to practice i think that's my biggest thing is like i never know what to practice i never took guitar lessons so i never had like a basis of how to get better it was just right. mostly learning parts and kind of like trying to fit in. I I did take some lessons for, for a little while and I will say, I mean, obviously this depends on, on the teacher and, and, and the student and the relationship between the two and all that stuff. But I will say it helped me, it really helped me grow kind of exponentially. I didn't take them for very long and I wasn't the most dedicated at, uh, at practicing and whatever, but I did get a lot out of, out of the lessons that I took. Um, and, and it definitely improved, improved me as a player. So, I mean, 
And th- and this was after I'd been playing for a, quite a while before I ever took lessons. So if you yeah. if you have the free time and the ability, I would I would definitely suggest, you know, giving a few different t- instructors a try. And and it it sounds kind of boring. It, it really does. Uh, to me, it sounds really boring. But what I actually gleaned out of all that stuff is definitely made me a better player overall. Yeah, and I think for me, it wouldn't be boring if I felt like I could see the progress or feel the progress. If I was just taking lessons and like, it's like, oh, this is stuff I can already do. I think I would feel very like I wouldn't want to do it. But like if I was like, oh, like this is stuff I want to do and I can't yet. And I know how to get there now. I feel like I would be excited about that. And I've looked into it a couple times. I think, yeah, just the the time and having the extra income to do that as a adult nowadays sometimes is you got to make it a priority. That's that's just the thing. If you don't make it a priority, you I, I'm a prime example of this. If you don't make it a priority, you, it'll totally fall by the wayside. But I guess that goes to that goes along with really anything that's worth doing. If you don't if you yeah. don't put your head down and <laughs> and start doing it, then it's just going to go away. So, you know, obviously you can't yeah. do everything in life, but things like this that that tend to be a priority, maybe it's maybe now's the time. Who knows? It's just a just a, a thought. Not bad. Not bad. Well, we've been talking for quite a while now, and uh, I haven't given you the op- I got a couple more final questions, and I don't know if you right. have anything you'd like to tell the the people before we before we sign off here. Uh, man, uh, only thing I can think of is putting in that plug for uh, sinusoid cables. Man, some awesome Ooh. stuff. They just they just uh picked up. I'm actually no longer there. Um, with all this hospital oh, you're not. stuff. Oh, gotcha. I, okay. Yeah, um, and so um, I actually haven't been in for a little bit, but uh, I just saw they picked up um, a couple, I think a couple new German-made cables that look super awesome. Um, all the new Squatch stuff, so Squatch design, um, the pedal boards and straps and hats and awesome stuff there. Um, so, yeah, if you need if you need anything, definitely uh, put that plug-in for Sinusoid stuff. It as somebody who never spent money on like what I thought was the accessory inside stuff, like the cables, um, I would you know buy like the ten dollar cable off Amazon. Um, as somebody who was that person and then started working at Sinusoid, like it's worth it. I'll a hundred percent say it. Like as somebody who hates spending lots of money on stuff. It is. So I'll just put that out there as a uh, as a convert of high quality, good stuff that's going to last. There you go. Um, I like it. You, I mean, and you guys, all the, all you listeners know that Dinosaur's been sh- supporting the show for a very long time, and uh, and it was really nice to talk to John and and hear his story, and and hopefully everybody got something out of it. But please, Dinosaur's been supporting us for a long time. And they they really do make the best stuff in the business. So go go check them out for sure. Um, and with that, I will slide into my my final questions. And one Alrighty. of them being, what is your favorite boss pedal? 
Favorite boss pedal. Um, man, I, I think I gotta go with the DD twenty. Um, mm-hmm. I'm trying to think of what else out there, maybe. Uh, or like an RV five or RV six, like that mod setting on an RV five. It's really nice. It's just like it. It's man, yeah. As somebody with a big sky, like I'm still like, man, it'd be nice to just have an RV5 at the end just for that mod setting. Um, so one of those two, um, the DD20, the way it's set up, it offers some really fun ways to mess with the settings. Uh, uh-huh. So that's always really fun to play around with. But yeah, I'd have to say one of those two. I don't know off the top of my head which I'd rather have. Probably the DD20. All right. DD20, final answer. I think, yeah, I'll have to go DD20. Final right. answer. I'll give it, that's a good solid choice. The DD20 is a, it's a classic for a reason, or for many reasons, yeah. I should say. All right, final question. And this is the big one. What kind of pizza do you like? Oh, man, I, this is actually something I've been thinking about a lot because I see so many pizza pictures in the Facebook group. Um, and I, as somebody who's like a newer listener, I don't really understand it, but it makes me think about pizza a lot. There is a place in Olympia, Washington and Lacey, um, called, uh, oh shoot. What's the name of this place? Uh, it's like an Italian place. Um, Casamia. I'm hitting the Google machine as fast as I can. Oh, um, sorry, what? Casamia. Um, okay. Which almost sounds Hispanic, but uh, let me let me double check. That's uh, Casamia Olympia. I'm gonna. Anyway, there is a pizza there. I have. I actually have like two or three answers, and they're all Olympia-based places. So if you're ever driving through Olympia on I-5 in Washington. And you want a good pizza? I've got lots of good places. Okay. Casamia has a. Um, it's a three cheese chicken pizza, um, and I'm one of those guys that loves a good white sauce pizza. Uh, uh-huh. Chicken with three cheeses. So, it's like apparently won awards. It's a gorgonzola parmesan sauce, chicken, onions, red peppers, black olives, basil, finished with. A balsamic vinaigrette like thing and it is as somebody who's not super into fancy like high-end food that sounds way fancier than something i would like i feel like but it is amazing um, sounds so really if you're good. ever yeah it, the gorgonzola parmesan sauce like is another level um and then there's a, another place in olympia area called uh brewery city pizza and they have a chicken bacon ranch pizza. And the thing I love about what they do that's different than anywhere I've ever been is uh, it's a ranch sauce, uh, chicken and bacon, cheese. They cook the pizza. And then after they cook the pizza, they put fresh shredded lettuce and tomatoes on top. So as long as you eat the pizza fresh and it hasn't been sitting out, um, you get the super good hot chicken bacon ranch. But then you also get like the cool crisp lettuce and tomato on top. Uh huh. Oh my gosh, it is a 
And I've never seen anywhere else put cold ingredients on the pizza after it's cooked. Um, and it was just like... I could see it's, that being really good. It's amazing. Um, it's crazy. I had a, a buddy who worked there in high school, and so I've eaten a lot, a lot of that pizza, and it just it never gets old. So mm. I guess, yeah, two different white sauce pizzas. I Red sauce pizzas, I feel like red pizza sauce is so different across the board that sometimes it's like too spicy or sometimes it's super bland that I sometimes just don't want to deal with red sauce pizzas. So there's nothing yeah. worse than biting into a pizza. It's like, Oh, that pizza looks good. Here we go. I'm, I'm so hungry. And you bite into it like a red sauce pizza that has not that great of sauce. It's yeah. so disappointing. It's like, what it's, you, what is, what is this? Yeah. And I feel like, I mean, melted cheese is always going to be good. Like, pepperoni is really hard to get wrong. I feel like the sauce is the biggest make or break on a pizza for me. Like, toppings, majority of the time, I'm fine with whatever's on there. Not a big Italian sausage. Like, I feel like it's too spiced sometimes. But mm-hmm. most of the time, I'm fine with that there's on top of pizza. But the sauce, like, the sauce changes a pizza. Papa Murphy's. This is a hack for everybody. If you ever are a Papa Murphy's fan, get the Chicago style deep dish pizza with white okay. sauce instead of the red sauce. Um, really? So good. Oh my gosh. So good. Because they have like the, the white sauce chicken uh, yeah. deep dish at Papa Murphy's. But if you get the white sauce on the Chicago style, the white sauce with the, the meats, like instead of, because usually white sauce is more of a chicken, you mix it with the chicken or the not the like pepperonis and stuff, but uh-huh. man, the white sauce with like all the meat in that pizza, so good. I'm gonna have to try that. I am, I am quite a a fan of Papa Murphy's. I feel like it's, it's really difficult pizza to beat for the the price. Like it's really. Oh, hard. I think chain wise, it's probably my favorite chain pizza. Definitely. Um, easy, and I, I mean the extra time, you know, obviously is annoying, but. I think out of any chain pizza, I'd rather have Papa Murphy's. So, yeah, I love. Do you Papa have? Oh. Do you have access to a a pellet grill of some sort, like a Traeger or something like it? Um. Yeah. My. Uh, I think the the couple me and my wife live with have a smoke. Uh, it's a smoker. I don't know if it's a pellet. Grill. Well, if but. it's anything like a a Traeger style smoker. Do yourself a favor and slide a pep, uh, a Papa Murphy's pizza on there one of these days. Oh, smoke it up. all right. Yeah, yeah you send Ooh. you slide it on there. You let it smoke on the tray for like, like on the lowest setting for like mm, twenty minutes or so, and then okay. turn up. Then turn it up. Cook it normal, like at the four whatever four twenty five. I think it is. Yeah. Until it's almost done, and then slide it off the tray onto the trigger directly onto the trigger. Oh. Let it finish for a couple minutes right there. It's that bottom. And mm. oh, it's so it is so good. Like it's oh, like man. a it's a whole new level of Papa Murphy's pizza. It's kind of insane. That sounds ugh. any specific <laughs> uh like pellet flavor or anything? I feel like there's so many different 
like smoke flavors that you could you could go with a I wrong tend smoke to just flavor. use uh, I tend to just use Cascade Alder for everything because it's f- okay. it's fairly neutral and then I don't have to think about it. So like I use that for ribs. I use it for, you know, briskets, pizzas, burgers. I pretty much just always use Alder just because it's it's readily available to me and it's fairly neutral. Gotcha. So that's what I go with. Nice. Oh, I'm definitely going to have to try that. Okay. <laughs> we're, we're giving out life hacks left and right over here. Papa Murphy's Dude. based life hacks. Though. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Pizza based. All right, John. The best. Well, thank you so much <laughs> for coming on. It was really nice to talk to you and uh, get to know you a yeah. little bit better. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's been awesome. So. Well, I think uh, we've been we've been at it for quite a while now, so I think I'll I'll sign off as long as that's okay with you. Alrighty, yep, all good. Okay, all right, folks. For John, this is Blake, and as always, folks, good luck and good tones. All right, I'm not gonna do too much on the back end of this one. Uh, thank you for tuning in and listen to that episode. If you can, please check out that GoFundMe. It's again right there in the show notes. The link's right there, and anything you can do would be massively, massively appreciated by the family. I know that that much for a fact. And uh, yeah, I'm not really sure what else to say here, but I, I, I hope that gave you a good peek into what type of person John was and how he impacted his friends, his family, and those he worked with. So much love to his family. And oh, man, I don't know what else to say. This is a, This is a rough one. So I guess on that note, I will talk to you all next week. Thank you. Bye. One last thing before we totally sign off here. I just want to remind you that if you do any shopping at Stringjoy, that's Stringjoy Guitar Strings made in Nashville, that will help me out as well. As I've said for years, I'm heavily involved in that company, and I really do think they're making the best products on the market. So if you would like to try custom strings, go to tonemob.com slash stringjoy and check them out today. I seriously, seriously, seriously love what the team down there is doing. I help them out with all kinds of things. And by you supporting them, you are also supporting me as well. And hey, you need some strings, so why not get some custom strings just for your guitar and playing style? Again, the link for that is tonemob.com slash stringjoy, and that will take you right to their website, and you can do all your shopping through there, and that will help everyone involved out. So thank you very much. Talk to you next time. We are brought to you by the wonderful folks at Gun Street Wiring Shop. Yes, Gun Street Wiring Shop. I've talked about them before. I used to say based out of Bend, Oregon, but guess what? Sean moved to my neck of the woods. Sean's in Portland. Sean is awesome and has helped me with a bunch of stuff lately. And if you have wiring needs for your guitar, he can help you too. If you want to get weird with it, he can get weird. If you just need to spruce things up a little bit, there's your guy. He takes all the guesswork out of doing your guitar wiring, and he makes it simple, and his customer service is top-notch, and I can't say enough good things about Gunstory as a company. I really respect Sean and what he's all about, and the product is top-notch. I've got three different guitars that now have Gun Street harnesses in them, and I could not be happier. So go to GunStreetWiringShop.com and check them out.